You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Global Trade This Week. I'm Pete Mento, and uh, my my intrepid co-host, the, um, the salt to my vinegar, <laughs> the, the, the corn chips to my queso, Doug Drake. Yeah. How are you, buddy? Pete, I'm doing great. <clears throat> it's uh, August 1st, right? I don't, I don't know if we're supposed to timestamp dates on these things, right, or not. But anyway, uh, it's August 1st. It is also, we didn't talk about this in the last uh, few minutes, Colorado's birthday, oh. 1876. The 38th state entered into the union. Uh, today is the day. So happy birthday, Colorado. Happy birthday, Colorado. Yeah, I can't do the math on my head real quick to figure out what this 148, maybe 43. Maybe. Something like, I need Siri to help me out. That's how well, pathetic we are nowadays. I don't even, it's either Alexa or Siri when it's simple math and you just don't want to jack with it. You know, hey, Siri, what's 27 times nine? And whoops. 27 hey, times nine is 243. <laughs> there you go, 243. Thanks, Siri. Yeah. Pretty soon, Doug, it's going to be like, where are my pills? You know, um, did I take my pills this morning? So. Yeah, for sure. So, but it's good. It's good to see you, Pete. And um, always love this show. I was talking to a coworker here at my co-working space and I asked him if he could get out of my booth. And he's like, yeah, you got your podcast today and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, step aside, son. We got work to do. That's um, right. So That's right. It's, it's good. It'll yeah. be good. Good show, good halftimes. I'm excited about halftime, Pete. I think whenever I promote the show on LinkedIn, I'm going to lead with that because the story is is unbelievable. It is an excellent story, but you know, I'm I'm a little I don't know about halftime. I do it because it makes you happy. Thank but, you. Yes, yes, it, it is. You happy. So. But listen, I open the show, so that means that uh, Doug ha- will be receiving in the first uh, in the first yeah. half. So why don't you go ahead and run with it, yeah. buddy? All right, man. So this is related to electric vehicles and our auto industry and how we've talked about this uh, in previous episodes, Pete, about owning the rails. And a lot of that happened during the pandemic when larger companies were able to just take back things that they had outsourced so they had greater control. FedEx, UPS would be examples of of a, a vertical integrated company with Trucks, planes, sort centers, the whole nine yards. And um, an article I saw this weekend kind of caught my attention because uh, GM was saying that uh, slow battery production for the machinery is starting to uh, to delay uh, the rollout of their electric vehicles, right? So part of it is, yeah, we got to make the batteries, but part of it is the machinery that makes the batteries. And I'm not here to talk in depth about batteries, but there's this new generation that's going to be uniform for all of their all of their uh, uh, models. And so it's super important that one fires up. Um, so my, my thoughts were is that is the motor industry and the car industry now morphing into a battery production company where they have so much demand and, and, and so many uh, financial milestones to hit in order to move forward and commitments they've made with percentages of their fleet that are gonna be electrified. Um, are they going to be switching into not only car manufacturers, but battery manufacturers? And, and it looks like the answer to that is yes. And then the, 
the other piece of that, Pete, is again some things that have that have come on board is the um, standardization or the universal nature of charging stations, right? So uh, GM recently said, hey, we're going to have this plug-in that's going to uh, work with all Tesla charging stations across the country. Tesla has about 17,000 of them. And then just shortly thereafter, there was a, an article about um, seven car manufacturers across the world, BMW, GM, um, Honda, Kia, Mercedes-Benz, uh, whatever the company is formerly known as Fiat Chrysler. Um, they're all basically collaborating to try to build 30,000 charging stations um, because um, the big problem with that, Pete, and it goes back to my story when I was in Fresno a couple months ago, the poor experience I had uh, with getting my, uh, my electric rental car uh, recharged. So the point of this one, Pete, is are, are uh, car companies flipping into battery manufacturers and essentially building charging infrastructure because demands are requiring it, right? Uh, demands of consumers and expectations with uh, carbon footprint neutrality. So so that, that's kind of interesting. The last comment I'll say about this is that when the electrification allows me to go somewhere every three to 400 miles and juice my car up in about five minutes, and there is a tremendous amount of access to do that, I'm all in. For electric vehicles, but until they get to that stage, it's going to be an uphill battle. And I think um, doing a callback from one of our shows about British Petroleum buying um, uh, travel centers of America so they can have that access and build out that infrastructure that's already there. So anyway, it's a two-part comment, Pete. Are the car manufacturers getting into battery production and um, uh, charging stations because they just can't support the demand that's kind of the gist of this topic and that's what i'm seeing well doug i have a lot to say about this first of yes. all we know doug you hate electric cars you hate the planet we know we know it's okay <laughs> it's all right man it's okay we, yeah. we get it we get it it's all good okay um second of all michelle Wu, the mayor of boston yesterday signed into law a uh, declaration that says that all new city government building projects, all city vehicles must be green by, I think it's 2035. So it must be electric. And um, as you would imagine, response went down party lines, my friend, about how people felt about that. But a lot of the questions that came up were, is there gonna be interchangeability with the chargers? Does this mean that, you know, if there's not gonna be one particular universal charger set, are we gonna have to have different types of chargers at every city building, at every city uh, motor pool? How are we gonna manage this because there is no standard? One of the things that's driving me crazy right now is that I, I bought one of these big Z Flip phones from Samsung, you, know, you open it up and it's fun, but it's just too damn big. So I need something smaller, it's too heavy. I'm waiting for the next iPhone to come out because it's going to have the USB-C, I think it is, the universal charger. So it's got the same charger as a Samsung, same charger as everything else. And now we're going to have one universal charging toggle because of European requirements. And that's what I think will eventually happen, Doug. I think you're going to see interchangeable batteries. Hmm. I, I will be very dead. But at some point, I think that the world's going to realize that just like if the battery runs out in a flashlight, 
you can decide if you want Energizer or Duracell or you know whatever Costco brand, but there are interchangeable cells. I think that companies like British Petroleum that own these truck stops are simply going to have convertible cells. You know, you need a what kind? You know, we got eight types of cells. Which one is it? Which one fits in your car? Chunk, chunk, chunk. You take it in yeah. and take it out. That's a long way down the road. So between here and then, the the main problem you hear from people about EVs is always cost. Well, now it's not so much cost. The second one was it's just not convenient. And I think that the fact that it still remains so inconvenient for so many people years later is is slowing down sales and adoption. So yeah. um, until we come over this problem of convertibility, I think it's going to be very difficult to get people to buy a full sale done. Yeah, yeah. I, I should have pulled a statistic about how many gas stations there are in the United States. You got 17,000 Tesla stations, and uh, this co- this uh, cooperative wants to build 30,000. So that'd be 47, right? I better ask Siri that number. But anyway, is there 40, are there 47,000 gas stations in the United States? I have, I have no idea, but that would give peace of mind to users that they're not going to run out of juice uh, in the middle of Kansas on I-70. If you, Doug, if you ever want to, if you ever come visit me in New Hampshire, okay, we're going to go to the dual Whole Foods Trader Joe's in Bedford, New Hampshire, and watch the yummy yoga mommies all fight over who gets to gets to park in the EV and see them knocking on the window saying, are you done? You know, <laughs> being all like aggravated and angry as they go in to get their organic kale. Yep. Um, it, it's awesome to watch. You know me, I'm, I'm a, I'm an observer of the human condition. So I love that kind of, of, uh, of problem, but yeah. it's, it's pretty funny. Though. Good, good. All right, brother, what you got for your first topic? Yeah. You know, my first topic is one of these things where, um, speaking of me being an observer of the human condition, I am an economist, and we are more than anything interested in incentives. So why does someone do something? Is it for an incentive or a disincentive? And um, it usually falls in the hands of businesses. So right now, it's not a big incentive to be in the cardboard packaging industry. Why? Well, we're not selling a lot of cardboard packaging cardboard boxes, cardboard packaging, and the associated cardboard chipping packaging, rubber peanuts or plastic peanuts, all the other things. The sale of these things is way, way, way down. I put this up on LinkedIn today, Doug, but over the same time last year, we're down almost 21% at this point uh, compared to 2022. And yes, last year was a little crazy when it came to, to shipping, but we were beginning to see normalcy come back because of inventory problems. Well, now that in a time of year, because of all the peak seasons, we expect it to start rocketing back. It's going in the exact opposite direction. You're just seeing fewer and fewer people buying cardboard, cardboard boxes. It's a great indicator of the, the, the world's global landscape. If we're not buying things to put in boxes, we're not buying boxes to put things in to ship overseas, we're probably going to have lower traffic numbers. We're going to have lower import numbers. We're going to have lower uh, retail sales. But more importantly, it's another great indication of an overabundance of inventory. So this is one of those things that I I watch um, pretty closely. Um, I also watch dwell times on vessels pretty closely, the cost of diesel fuel. There's a bunch of weird ones. But um, yeah, this is pretty clear, clear, pretty clear indicator, Doug, that, that things are a lot worse than I think we realize. Yeah, it's funny how, um, I don't know if indirect indicators would be the right 
the right thing, but when, when I heard this topic you were going to run, I immediately thought of aluminum and the cost of aluminum during um, the pandemic. <clears throat> and I explained it. It took me a, a little bit like, why is that? And then I was explaining to some friends that if you and I and everybody else goes to a bar and we get our beers, right? Let's say that we drink, I don't know, five beers that night and everybody in the re- everybody there drinks five. It's a little on the low end for you, Pete. I know that. That's... It comes out of one of the options is a keg. So you have a keg of beer serving 50 people, so to speak. Well, now all those people can't go to the bar or couldn't go to the bar during the pandemic, but they still want to drink their beer. So they had to buy it in bottles and cans, right? So you needed a a huge amount of aluminum to support the same amount of beer that you would get kind of in the keg. So I don't know how many, how many, how many draws of beer you get out of a keg? A hundred? No idea, buddy. No idea. So let's just say it's 100 for easy math. You have one keg that supports 100 drinks. Well, now you need 100 cans of aluminum in order to um, provide people the same amount of booze. And let's just say people were drinking a lot more during the pandemic. So my whole point is that aluminum and the cost of aluminum just shot up. And the indicator um, you know, was just consumption of alcohol was done at the home versus out in restaurants and bars. So I thought of that whenever you made mention of the of the uh, the corrugate cardboard box box situation. Yeah, it's not dissimilar, man. They're they're all around us. These weird consumer indicators that people they just don't pay enough attention to. Sale of engagement rings, cost of diamonds on the free market. Uh, that's another great one. It's way down. It's another great indicator of of, uh, of consumer confidence. Mm-hmm. And um, it used to be used cars, but you know we've had such a big blip. We really can't depend on that statistic right now. But there's a ton of them. There's a ton of them. Um, but with, with aluminum, Doug, that is a very difficult commodity to get your hands on right now. And in, in a lot of forms, everything from car manufacturers, aerospace, I mean, it goes everywhere. People are just, they're running out of it. So it's uh, that's, that's a great commodity to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. So we have some halftime here. What, uh, of course, Cap Logistics puts on the show. Um, Keenan pushes the buttons and turns the levers. We can't thank them enough for that. So caplogistics.com for supply chain needs. Please reach out to them. So Pete, on the, uh, the halftime, you want to roll? You want me to go first? Yeah, man, I'll go first because yours is much better than mine. So we'll, we'll definitely close on yours. I, I have um, been spending a lot of time in airports with my finger up my nose, which means a lot of Netflix time. And I watched the um, quarterback. Uh, series on netflix did you watch it doug uh no but on netflix is there an icon of uh patrick mahomes on the uh on the cover it is patrick mahomes yeah Uh, so it's patrick mahomes Mariota, and um kurt cousins that they follow closely through the course of last season and we already know what happens at the end of the season so the the thing that got me about this show was how much First of all, how much I can get into a sports documentary. It doesn't take much. And then second of all, how likable they all ended up becoming through the course of the show. Really not a Vikings fan because I'm a Saints fan, but it was kind of hard not to like Kirk Cousins when all was said and done. He's just a solid guy, um, you know, very, very, very good citizen. Um, tried really hard and just had a bad year. Marcus Mariota, Hawaiian guy just did not work out for him, but they showed all of that. I mean, they showed the guy's season collapsing and mm. then him just leaning on his family, going back to Hawaii and getting it back together and signing with Philly for next year. But then the Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's, he's a really intense young man. Um, 
I, I wish my mother was still alive because she was a Red Raider from Texas Tech. She'd probably have a Patrick Mahomes tattoo at this point. Uh, but just the 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 way that a whole city and a fan base can rally around one player and how that one player thrives on it. I could never be a professional athlete. Um, I just couldn't handle that kind of pressure. But to just see him thrive under it and and just how well they did and all the setbacks that he faced. If you're into sports documentaries, yes, it's NFL films. So yes, it's going to be very, you know, skewed. There's not a whole lot of controversy here other than is Patrick Mahomes' wife a real pain in the ass or not. And that's for you to decide. Um, but it's just a great watch, Doug. So if you haven't watched it, I really recommend it. Yeah, I'll pull it up. You, you made a recommendation on the uh, American Gladiators Netflix. Yeah. That was a good one. I oh, thank you for that. One. That was yeah, a good that's one. That's a great one. So, yeah, so okay, Doug, I, you got a great one, man. Uncork it. Go ahead and let us. No. Let's talk about it. All right. So um, this is about a wedding in March of 2022 that took place here in Colorado in Aspen, and it is an example of how out of touch affluent people can be, and how first world problems really aren't that. Um, well, just the, the, the comical nature of first world problems. So here's the deal. There was a wedding in Aspen. Um, it was a gentleman that spent $2 million on the wedding for his daughter. And it was at uh, the Little Nell Hotel, but then they went up to the top of Aspen on the gondolas. That's where the party was and the shindig. So here's what transpired. They flew out a 12-piece band from L.A. because there are no 12-piece bands in the state of Colorado. Of course they and, did. Um, yeah. yeah, it's kind of weird. It's a fact. There's no 12-piece bands here in Colorado. So flew them out, and uh, the sound system up at the top of the mountain didn't work. So there was some delay, and they were having issues or whatever. So it took about, I don't know, 30 or 45 minutes to, to get that figured out. But that was the catalyst to have delays in the wedding that just cascaded towards, uh, towards um, a complete debacle, right? So first of all, um, the delay uh, in getting started caused the food to be a little bit cold because there wasn't enough ovens or whatever to keep it warm. And then the key thing is that the time in between the courses of the meal had to be had to be shrunk, right? So they basically got their food too soon. Um, another problem is that Nelly came out to do um, a private concert, and unfortunately, his 50-minute set had to be cut short. So that. Yeah, that that kind of sucked. I hope he got right. to country grammar, Doug. That's all I yeah. care about. Yeah. It, it it's uh it's horrible. And because uh there's a hard line with when you need to get off of the mountain for any parties, the whole event had to be condensed into a shorter amount of time. Uh because the hard stop was eleven o'clock, they had to get down. Um and so the whole thing was a debacle. And the funny thing is that the guy that um put all this on, his quote about his $2 million wedding for his daughter, and I have a kicker at the end of this, was that it was a day that will live in infamy, is what he said about his daughter's wedding. So that basically means, Pete, he's comparing Pearl Harbor yeah. to his crappy wedding experience yeah. on the top of Aspen Mountain. And then there's been some photos and publications. You look at all the photos, it looks like every single person is having a good time. They're jumping around, their smiles, you know, um, the whole nine yards. So he's suing this uh, audio or this bit, uh, audio company for like eighty thousand dollars because the wedding was ruined 
in which he compared it to uh, a Pearl Harbor. I'm sure if you Google it, you can pull up the, the story and the pictures. It's unbelievable. And the, the, the ironic thing, if that's the right use of this word, Pete, is that couple is now divorced. And that wedding took place in March of 2022, and it's August of 2023. <laughs> oh, I love it. You just made the story so much better. I know. That is the kicker. So it's just uh, an example of how out of touch people are that have an insane amount of money and that first world problems are now compared to, uh, you know, disasters that impacted our company and the world or not company, our country and the world uh, as far as the day that we'll live in infamy. So it's just I, I didn't even know. I, I can't even say anymore, Pete. Doug, I have so much to say. So <laughs> um, I, I believe I've covered this on the show before. I have a very strict no weddings policy with limited exceptions. So if you invite me to your wedding, I'm probably not going. Um, if you invite me to your kid's wedding, I'm probably not going. Like I'll, I'll send a card in my regrets and a check because that's all these kids want anyway. They don't know who I am, right? Unless it's someone who's extremely close to me, I'm not going to your wedding. For young people, I say to them all the time, I don't know why you're spending all this money on your wedding. You're probably going to have a couple more anyway. So maybe you should save all this money for this one and put it toward a house or retirement. You know, make some some relatively risky investments and some funds and some commodities. I don't know, but don't waste it on a party so that your girl can feel like a princess. It's just silly. Um, now, all that being said with that part, Doug, I am in the midst of having to pay for part of a wedding. Mm. So... Um, eldest son is getting married a year from now, no, two years from now. And, uh, you know, we have a small part to, to play as financially as the, the parents of the groom. And it's not nearly as bad as, as it could be, but to just have someone, you know, walk up to you and say, I need a whole bunch of cash for a party. Just, it seems a little obnoxious. Um, now all that being said, Doug, if I won the mega bucks, if I won Powerball. I would make parties like that look like a backyard barbecue in Abilene <laughs> when I was 12. It's, Amy and I fight about this all the time because I, I ruin her fantasies about winning the lottery, right? Um, so she'll say, why do you have to make this so terrifying and dystopian whenever we talk about the lottery? Because I'm like, first thing we're doing is getting security, very good private security, like, like ex-Navy SEALs that bathe in blood. We're going to have a bunch of them. And no one goes anywhere ever again. I'm never driving ever again. I'm going to have somebody drive me. I'm never wearing pants ever again. I'm wearing shorts if I'm that rich. But here's one thing for, I'm damn positive, Doug. I would throw parties constantly. If I was worth hundreds of millions of dollars, like Keenan's birthday, I would, I, I'm telling you right now, we would do something outrageous, you know? I would just take him to the McDonald's for the sheet cake of Ronald McDonald guy. We would, we would take him. He's not going to get that joke. We're going to, I would, I would like, I'd find out who his favorite band is and have him play for him. You know, I like Doug, you and I would be at every Jayhawk game. Like we would do some, give me that kind of money in a plane. It won't be anyone I'm left, but oh, are yeah. we going to have a good time? So I kind of understand, but I would love to meet the young lady who demanded a $2 million wedding. I'm sure she's delightful. Yes. Yes. It's a shock she wasn't still married, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, I had to get that one on. That was not going to be my topic. My real topic is going to be next week, right? Um, but okay. uh, anyway, so, well, let me jump into uh, the purpose of this podcast, which is global trade. 
um, and supply chain logistics. So this one, Pete, you, you may know, um, I'm glad I'm bringing this up on the show because you may know a little bit more about this than I do, but it, 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 uh, it caught me just yesterday as I was developing, what am I going to talk about today? And I was kind of like, what the hell's going on with Zim, uh, the, the steamship line, right? So um, it just looks like they um, are just shedding, uh, not even assets, they're shedding leases and commitments to vessels that they, that they lease like nobody's business. And the CEO is making comments like, during the downturn, we're actively managed and rationally, rationalizing our fleet uh, and, and services. But the gist of it I saw is that, so they're the 10th largest steamship line, at least that's what I read. 90% of their fleet is, is leased compared to other steamship lines, which is about 50-50. Um, two leases by Zim have immediately been terminated uh, through mutual agreement. Those were flipped over to OOCL. OOCL has plenty of volume to throw on there. So it's not like there's no volume in, in the world market to fill these, these containers. Um, there was a, a sell uh, of a, like six other leases that uh, apparently kind of uh, uh, didn't go through, uh, but they're actively trying to unload their commitments uh, to TEUs as, as they go on. And uh, they're even subletting uh, some of these, uh, uh, these leases. And so it's just, it's crazy, you know, so I jumped on and started looking at the financials and things of that nature about what's going on with Zim. The only thing I could see that that jumped out is, is two things, Pete, and this is a, a little bit of a naive comment. It's just kind of my initial take after reading it is, number one, it said that the substantial amount of their volume is uh, trans-Pacific, right? So we know that there's been, um, you know, there's basically minimal peak season. A lot of their vessels are running between China and the U.S., where other steamship lines are more diverse with their routes and their lanes across the world, where Zim, from what I read, was uh, really focused on um, uh, Chinese imports and, and, uh, and that type of trade. And then another thing, which is more put on your um, uh, tinfoil hat, is that is there something going on that we don't know about that is right behind the door that's going to put Zim in a position where they're going to be sold? Uh, have a yellow situation where they're going to go out of business because there's not a lot of assets there that they own. I don't know. I I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it just struck me as odd that this pretty substantial um, commentary on that industry has kind of gone on under the radar that I've not seen a whole lot, um, but it seems pretty potentially damaging to the industry. So anyway, Pete, my question to you is WTF with Zim. Yeah. Um I don't think anything nefarious. I don't think anything, you know, too crazy is going on. I would say that first and foremost, Zim understands its economic reality and they're taking steps to make themselves as resilient as possible for what could be a long-term downturn. And unlike most of the other ocean carriers, they're actually talking about it. And they're, they're, they're publicly doing what they have to do. And they don't have to put as happy a face on it because everyone sees what's going on. They are very strong in certain parts of the world. They almost have a, they have a very tight grip on it. And in those parts of the world, they're doing great. So like any good logistics company, when things get a little weird, a little uncomfortable, they're going to fall back on their strengths. And I think you'll find that they'll be doubling down in those areas where they are strong and maybe reconsidering the places where they're not for the long term and not finding themselves getting caught financially in a bad situation. So pure speculation, but from the outside looking in, um, would not surprise me if they were bought 
at all. But it also would surprise me um, if they weren't taking the steps they're taking now, given the very uncomfortable realities we're all facing economically in this business. Hmm. And I thought we were yeah. going to make it a whole show without saying yellow, but Doug, I didn't know, I know. which one of us was going to do it, but you know, <laughs> yeah. it was going to be one of us. Yeah, fair enough. All right, bring us home. Your last topic, my friend. Yeah, so um, geekity geek 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 alert, everyone nerd alert. Uh, the World Trade Organization's uh, annual data book came out, and this is a treasure trove of info for undateable dorks like me. And it's uh, it's a deep dive into statistical analysis that we look at practically every year. Everything from demographics, financial growth, investment, direct foreign investment, foreign military sales. It goes, I mean, it, it goes deep into demographics as well. And there's a couple of things that really caught my eye. And one of them was the um, unfortunate shifts in demographics in Mexico. We're seeing um, an aging there that shouldn't be and how um, there's more work in Mexico than ever before. So we're seeing more people stay in Mexico. Um, the continued migration of people from Central America into Mexico and then eventually the US, the incredible immigration numbers in Canada, how they're just trying to build as big a population as possible while they still can there. And then also the, uh, the expected on our end, but apparently ignored by everyone else, global effects of a pandemic and then a, an ensuing financial slowdown um, and the rebuild and how the United States really has had one of the more resilient economies throughout the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic. Um, and then some speculation, you know, if it hadn't have been for wars in Ukraine, uh, just how much better the, the world's economy would probably be right now regarding, uh, as well as probably the relationship between the United States and China. So much like World War I, man, it's just, it's a conflict in a part of the world that most people couldn't find on a map that is having, having a tremendous economic impact on everyone's lives from inflation, from food insecurity, all the deaths that are going along with it, and then a lack of comfort and, and just continued speculation in global markets because there just is no certainty. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's an excellent read for those of you who um, don't know what you're going to do with your free time like now or ever. Um, but yeah, I would absolutely positively, Doug, I would, I, I can't recommend enough getting, get a deep dive, deep dive on that. I think I'm going to wait for the movie version, Pete, because usually the movie's better than the book. You're which, such which, a pain in my ass, you, you, When I looked at that thing, it's 138 pages. I was flipping through it on my phone and I'm just like graph analytics. It, it was really hard from this simple kid from Kansas to pull out meaningful data in, in, in what that thing had to say. So I'm glad that you kind of summarized it for me, but it would be nice to condense that down in this world of TikTok and, uh, and reels to just give me the highlights, right? Um, which you have done thusly, and, and I appreciate that. But yeah, I couldn't really dive into that, Pete. I was like 138 pages. No, thank you. I'll just wait and see what Pete has to say about it. <laughs> and, and you, you, you had some good perspective, but it didn't give me a whole lot of, of anything that I didn't already know from uh, this show and the things that we talk about already. You don't know anything without data. So none of us know anything until we have statistics and proof behind it. You've never been able, I think, ever to point out the professional differences in us now quite as well as you just did. 
sales guy who's like, yeah, I don't really think I want to spend a lot of time reading the details. I'll just wait for the product guy to explain it all to me. Hey, nerd. You know, that was kind of what that was like. Um, and then, you know, the, the last thing I'll say about, about your reaction is there's, there's so much nuance and so much depth when you actually read the source material. You may find something other people don't find useful. And that's really what I've built my career on, Doug. So, yeah, I read all of it. Yeah, I go through all of it. And I know it's sad. I know it's pathetic. But that's it's how I roll, man. You know, it's, yeah. that's how I've cobbled together this bizarre career of mine. So thank you for um, for humiliating me about that. I really appreciate that. Doug. Yeah, well, somebody's got to do it. <clears throat> and the little example you just gave about the sales guy looking for the product guy, that's been my life. It works for all you young logistics professionals out there. If you want to be a good salesman, bring in the product people with you. You'll sell a lot more business. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, Pete, I love this one. This was a good show. We covered a lot of bases on uh, transportation, logistics, global trade many times on this conversation. And um, I want to thank Cap for putting it all together. Uh, CapLogistics.com. If you want to check out the services they provide in the logistics space. And um, yeah, I think that's about it. So uh, happy Colorado Day to everybody here in Colorado. Thank you for listening. We appreciate all of our listeners. And we still have some big news to bring to the table uh, about our show. We haven't talked about that, but we probably maybe should next week. I think so. Um, it's coming around the corner. So Flights with that, are booked, Doug. Flights what? are booked. Flights are booked, Doug. Oh, Flights good, good. Yeah. Good. That's called a teaser. Um but, uh, but anyway, thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. We wouldn't be here without you. And that is a wrap on another edition of Global Trade this week. Pete, catch you later, my friend. See you, buddy.